Well, praise God. If you have your Bibles tonight, let's begin in Romans, the fifth chapter, Romans chapter five. So we're going to continue at least for another couple of weeks, um, live streaming on Wednesday nights, our 1030 uh, service uh, in person uh, on Sunday mornings. And we had a great turnout this past Sunday morning. We did communion with the uh, the prepackaged individual serving uh, communion uh, cups, and uh, it's just a special time for me, and I, I believe it was for a lot of folks. And so, um, anyway, those sermons we're not able to live stream yet. Uh, we've made some; we're making progress towards the ability to live stream Sunday mornings from the sanctuary with the music and the praise team and the instruments and all of that. So, uh, it's just a bigger undertaking than than a little the simple setup that we have studio that we have in here in the fellowship hall by the way folks were like where is that room in the church pastor mark so obviously we just got a backdrop we're in the fellowship hall where we normally do uh, discipleship class so um thank you for your continued giving uh youth camp is on uh so john mark wanted me to make sure and announce that for our youth and uh, they uh, actually started this evening uh, selling barbecue for the 4th of July, uh, $35 for a um, pretty good size uh, Boston butt with some barbecue sauce. Do what now? At least eight pounds and up is, is what we try to, uh, uh, to, to purchase. So it's a really good deal. I don't think you can get barbecue 20 ounce sauce. I don't think you can get a, uh, a better deal anywhere um, for your barbecue on the 4th. And so um, if you could help our youth out, they do that every year uh, for a fundraiser for camp. And that uh, started, uh, again, like I said, uh, this evening. So anyway, we're excited uh, about that. But praise God. Uh, Romans 5, let's get into uh, our teaching tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Much more, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And... This verse, we've gone to it a few times, and here we are back at it again as, as we get rolling tonight. And I, I mainly just wanted to emphasize to you one more time, uh, having now been justified. Uh, one of the most important revelations, one of the most important uh, conclusions that you can let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God help bring you to is that you have now been justified, that you are now, as a born-again believer, you have now been made right before God in the eyes of God, just as if you have never sinned. This is your standing. This is your sonship. This is your standing before Him. And, and it will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize your walk um, with the Lord. Uh, if you'll uh, allow Him again to renew your mind to this new reality. You became something through the new birth that you were not before. This is why you must be born a second time, Jesus said. And when you were born a second time, many things happened. And one of those things that happened is you were made righteous. You, you became righteous. As you received it as a gift, an abundance of grace. And so, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So we take this verse, and again, I put you know, some tenses in here to help you understand. Having been made righteous, that's speaking of a past completed work, we are now righteous. This is speaking of a present tense state of being and will therefore be saved from eternal damnation. That word saved from wrath is, is the wrath, that word in the Bible translated wrath that's speaking of going to hell. Basically when you die, we'll be saved from eternal damnation in hell, future tense results and benefits. Now, 
We also see in this uh, Romans 5, 9 passage a phrase that we see used a lot uh, in the book of Romans and in other places, and it's this phrase, much more. Jesus used it, uh, and, and, and we see other apostles, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use that much more expression uh, quite often. And, and so in Romans 5, we're not going to go back through all of those, but what he's basically saying in Romans 5 is that it was Adam's sin that made us sinners. It was Jesus' obedience that has now made us righteous. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. It's not your obedience that makes you righteous. Okay? But he's making that comparison, but he's also wanting us to understand that although the sin that Adam committed that made us all sinners was very influential, very effective, very powerful as far as its, its, its effect, uh, effectiveness uh, upon us and over us, that it cannot compare in, you know, to the greatness of God's grace and the power of His grace to transform us. And so from that, we said that the abundance of grace that has made us righteous is much more powerful than the sin that once condemned us. And the salvation we received is not shallow and temporary. It is eternal and goes to the depth of our eternal being. And then one last statement here. The new creation we became is not weak and fragile, waiting to crumble and be undone by the sin that may still beset us. Who you are in Christ is rugged, durable, and irreversible. The righteousness you became has been battle-tested. This is why Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. So many people, you know, they, they look at that and they think, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's leading us into temptation. Absolutely not. He led Jesus into temptation because remember, Jesus was our substitute. He, he, um, he was so in step with His Father, not doing anything unless His Father told Him to do it, not saying anything unless His Father told Him to say it. He would never be in a situation to be tempted unless the Holy Spirit led Him into the wilderness to be tempted. But again, what that means is the righteousness that you've been given has been battle-tested. And your righteousness emerged unscathed and victorious over hell itself and every imaginable thing the enemies of God could throw at it. All right. Now, go over with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. This is where we left off on uh, last uh, Wednesday night. Romans chapter 10. And, of course, we've jumped forward. There's a lot that's covered in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, uh, 9. Um, and a lot of that dealing with the righteousness that we've become, dealing with uh, you know, who we are in Christ and what's true about us now. Chapter 8 has those beautiful verses. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now we come to Romans chapter 10 and verse number 2. And here the Bible says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So, they, they're, they're fired up, we might say, they're, they're, they're committed, they're zealous, they're, they're determined, they're motivated, but as important as all those things are, um, they're lacking some knowledge and some understanding. And this, you know, specifically speaking of the, the gift of righteousness. So let's look at verse 3. For they being ignorant, so... They're zealous, not according to knowledge. So not according to knowledge ties in with, with the ignorance, the not knowing. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
Now, this verse, of course, is, is, is speaking not, a lot of times it's, it's directed only at, you know, early century Jewish believers, but it are, are people who continue to believe that their righteousness depended upon their works. But this passage applies to every person in the sense that if we're going to be right before God in the eyes of God, um, we're going to have to quit trying to, to, to earn that and achieve that, accomplish that by our own efforts and works, and instead submit ourselves uh, and receive, humble ourselves and receive uh, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that He is freely offering to us. So righteousness then goes in the, you know, from the Old Testament where it was something that you earned uh, by your performance to now something you've become because of what you've believed. And, and of course, the believing involves the submission, the humbling ourselves, uh, realizing that it's prideful to think that we can somehow accomplish this through our own efforts and our own works, uh, but it's, it's humbling and, and, and submissive uh, to simply receive from our Heavenly Father this just priceless treasure, this gift that goes beyond human words to, to even begin to talk about the value of these things, both, both present tense and eternal, um, and, and receive uh, that gift. So when we talk about being submitted to the righteousness of God, um, I asked you a question last week, I'm going to ask you again tonight, what percentage of your righteousness um, is dependent upon you and what percentage of your righteousness is dependent upon God? It's not a trick question, but it is a question intended uh, to reveal maybe some uh, areas in our lives where we have not fully submitted ourselves to the righteousness of God. And, and the correct answer is uh, 0% of it is dependent upon you, 100% is dependent upon Him. And any percentage that you think, in other words, in order for you to be right, and you're not right if you don't fill in the blank, you know, whatever, do this, do that, then that tells me that you still believe that there's something you have to do in order to be right. The only thing you have to do in order to be right is to believe God, humble yourself, and receive this, by faith, the gift of uh, salvation and ultimately righteousness uh, that He has offered. Now, I'm not going to go back through it all. We've talked about it for the past two weeks, but... Holiness and godliness not the same as righteousness. Remember, righteousness is a state of being. Holiness is a state of doing. Godliness is a state of doing. But your righteousness is not dependent upon all the things you do or no longer do uh, because you've been made righteous. Now, let's... Um, thank you, Jesus. So last week I, I uh, mentioned this righteousness handout and obviously we're doing this electronically um, and you know thankfully uh, when brother Jason Peavy built our website he built the resources tab and so I, I gave you instructions on that last week um, if you have to like stop watching the live stream to go to the resources tab just do it later okay um, but go to hccnow.org the church website and under the resources tab you, you will find this thing that we call the righteousness handout. And, um, and so this is something the Holy Spirit gave me, um, I don't know, it's been several years ago now, but um, if we were all in class together, if all in this room together, I would hand every one of you a copy of this, and then we would you know, read over it together. So uh, I, I, want you, I really, really want you to, to get this, download this, 
get a copy on your phone, iPad, tablet, whatever. Um, and, and then if you can even print one off, put it on your refrigerator, your bathroom mirror. And um, I asked you last week to, to, to read this daily. Maybe you forgot about that or didn't have an opportunity to do it. But I really want to, again, encourage you. The enemy's going to bring some resistance against this. Um, he doesn't want the, the, the condensed truth from the Word of God that's represented on this page to ever begin to work in you uh, mightily and, and renew your mind uh, to these truths, all right? So I'm going to take the time uh, to read this. Um, and every, every part of this, every sentence of this uh, is, is resting upon the mouth of two or three witnesses in the Word of God. In other words, um, this is... This is taking the Word of God, many, many different verses, a uh, dozen or more verses, and, and, and condensing them into uh, something that, that you can read, look at, and, and become very familiar with. All right? So the first uh, part of this is called an overview of righteousness. An overview of righteousness. And it says this, I am the righteousness of God. I did nothing to earn or deserve the righteousness I have become but received it as a gift. I was born a sinner from the corrupted seed of Adam. Sin was more than a problem I had or something I tried not to do. Sin was my nature. I was a sinner, and I was powerless to make myself right before God. My behavior, no matter how good, was powerless to change my sin nature. Because of the great love with which He loved me, Father sent Jesus to take the punishment for every sin I have committed in the past and will commit in the future. Jesus took the blame and punishment for everything I have done or will do wrong and gave me the credit and reward for everything He did right. Jesus also made a way for me to be born a second time from His seed, effectively killing my sin nature and recreating me with a new nature, His divine nature. Righteousness is now more than a quality I have or something I aspire to do. Righteousness is my new nature. Just as I was powerless to make myself righteous, I am powerless to keep myself righteous. My frame is dust and my mind needs to be reconditioned because it has been infected, imprinted, and influenced by the world and my former nature. Therefore, I still commit sin on occasion. Thankfully, my righteousness is based upon what has been done for me and is not dependent upon my behavior. For my behavior, no matter how bad, is powerless to change my righteous nature. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. So when I asked you last week to, to take, you know, seven days and, and read this, notice it's, it's written from a confession perspective. In other words, first person, I, I am the righteousness of God. I did nothing to deserve it. I was once a, a sinner, but I have, I have now become this, and this is now true about me. So again, very, very powerful. Those of you who have been with us for several weeks, um, you know that this is basically just excerpts of things that, that we have looked at in great depth and detail from the Word of God. Now, the, the last uh, half of this, again, is um, 
understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. Right? Understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. There is so much confusion in the body of Christ. So much misunderstanding in the body of Christ when it comes to the relationship between being righteous and doing right. And so this is uh, the Holy Spirit uh, helping me uh, bring some simple, uh, yet I hope a very clear and very powerful uh, correction to that misunderstanding. So again, I'm going to take the time uh, to read this to you. Being righteous and doing right are related, they are related, and they are dependent upon one another, but not the way most people understand. Most people think being righteous is dependent upon doing right, but it is the exact opposite. So let's, let's stop here for just a minute. I think what follows is going to make that crystal clear, but I just want to make sure you understand this. So again, most people have this idea that in order to, to be righteous and to maintain righteousness, that's dependent upon them doing right, all right? But it's actually opposite. In other words, um, being right is not dependent upon doing right, but doing right is dependent upon being right. Let me keep reading here. Doing right is dependent upon being righteous. I was told and I believed for many years that I was a sinner. And as a, this is after I was born again, by the way. I was told and I believed for many years that I was a sinner. How about this one? Anybody ever heard this one? Just an old sinner. They always shake their jowls. An old sinner saved by grace. And so I was told over and over again that I was a sinner, and I believe for many years after I was born again that I was a sinner. And I, so let me go back. I was told, and I believe for many years that I was a sinner. And as a sinner, I was also told that I needed to do right. I was in essence being told to live in contradiction to what I was. The truth is, I was a sinner when Jesus found me. But He made me righteous. Through His blood, and not by or because of my good behavior, I was born a second time and became a new creature with a new nature and a new identity. Based upon this and this alone, I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. Now that I have been made righteous, I have the wherewithal to do right. The more my mind is reconditioned to my new nature and new identity, the more my life reflects the reality of the righteousness I have become. So being right and doing right are dependent upon one another. But trying to do right in order to be right is futile and unacceptable to God. Because He made me right, I be right. And because I be right, I can now do right. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. All right. Now, again, for some of you, this, this may be like never heard anything like this before. And I understand and, 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 and sometimes when things sound different and foreign from what mom and them taught us and, 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 and what, you know, what we learned when we were kids and that sort of stuff, or, you know, as Matt says, raised Christian and, and, and you know, a lot of religious traditional influence in our lives, okay? 
Um, this can sound so foreign that it, that it, that it doesn't sound right. It, it's, it sounds wrong. It sounds like it's, it's, it's not the Bible. But again, uh, every word of this is supported by um, what the Word of God says, both Old Testament and New Testament. Now, let's go, praise God, we're working our way to a certain point tonight, as always. Let's go to Hebrews, um, the, thank you Jesus, let's go to uh, Hebrews the 7th chapter. Hebrews the 7th chapter, I've got quite a few verses here, I don't don't know if we're going to, we'll look at them, but we probably won't comment on all of them, but Hebrews uh, chapter 7, and let's go to verse 23, so um, I don't, I hadn't corrected that in my notes so that it gives it to us verse by verse, but that's all right, we put them all, put these on the board uh, for you on the screen behind me. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, also there were many priests, he's talking about the, the Old Testament system of offering an animal to cover over the sins that people had committed. Also, he says there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. In other words, you know, generation after generation after generation of priests would serve you know, there in, in the temple offering sacrifices over and over and over again. And if, so one priest would die, others would take their place, and, and so forth and so on. But Jesus is different from all of this because he continues forever. Uh, he, he's not going to retire. He's not going to die. He's not going to get tired of being our priest and, and, and you know, uh, get him a house, you know, somewhere in, in uh, Oklahoma or something, you know. He, in other words, he is our priest and he continues forever. So, therefore, he has an unchangeable priesthood. All right, verse 25. Therefore, in light of this, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Remember when we spent some time several weeks ago, and you can go back if you, if you weren't, didn't tune into those classes, we, we didn't just say that Jesus provided propitiation, uh, appeasement of the wrath of God on behalf of our sin, but He is our propitiation. He is our redemption. He is our justification. He is our reconciliation. It's not just something that He did for us and gave to us, but it's something He is to us. He became these things. And, and since our redemption, the payment for our sin, is, is, is not in you know, some account that could one day run dry, but is in the eternal priesthood of Jesus Himself, we have eternal redemption. That's what the Bible teaches. We have eternal salvation through that eternal redemption. Okay? Now, let's keep going. Therefore, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice was one sacrifice for all sin, for all time. And when you received... His forgiveness, when you received His gift of salvation, His gift of righteousness, amen, it created a situation that, that um, it, in other words, it's something you became. You were born this, and uh, is therefore that's where we come to that expression in the slide we read earlier. It's irreversible. Now, you see, that makes me, uh, 
It makes me nervous, Pastor Mark. Well, let's just hang in here with me for a minute. Verse 28. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Now, um, in verse 25, Hebrews 7 and 25, therefore he is able, let me put it back up, verse 25, therefore he is able uh, to save to the uttermost. Uttermost, right? Um, this word uttermost means completely, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely, forever. He saved you completely, wholly, entirely, forever. As a matter of fact, that word perfect, perfected, is talking about complete. It's talking about whole. It's talking about entire. And so again, save to the uttermost. Jesus has saved you to the uttermost. He has saved you completely. He has saved you entirely. And He has saved you, if you've been born again, forever. Wow. All right, let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I kind of sense in my heart, you know, some of you getting, uh, you know, it's like, whoa, hold on, he's crossing some lines here. Well, amen, maybe there's some lines that don't just need to be crossed, but some lines that need to be moved. Amen. And so, just, again, I'm asking you to keep an open heart, open mind, and let's keep moving into some of this tonight, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So those who are being sanctified is, is speaking of you and me, born-again believers, who are still a work in progress, and yet the Bible says He has perfected us forever. That's speaking of your born-again spirit, the, the real you, the part of you that uh, will live forever. Amen? And so we see that He has perfected forever. That one offering of Himself has perfected forever those who are uh, being sanctified. Let's keep going. Verse 15, Hebrews 10 and 15. It says, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is no remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So a lot of folks have been confused by this last line here. Where there is a, a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And, and let me give it to you from the Amplified, then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, the Amplified, verse 18, Now, where there is absolute remission, forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty of these, sins and law-breaking, there is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. Let me give it to you from the God's Word translation. When sins are forgiven there is no longer any need to sacrifice for sins. So this, again, ties back into Jesus saving you to the uttermost by one offering of Himself, because that one offering of Himself uh, was made for all sin for all time. Therefore, there's no need for any other offerings or sacrifices to be made for sin. Now then, let's um, praise God. According to John the Baptist, let's go here. According to John the Baptist, Jesus came to do two things for you. Now, you can study this in the Gospels. Um, uh, we have extended classes when we normally meet in the 5 o'clock hour for these classes. and So we, we go a little more in depth than we've been going uh, you know, in this modified version uh, live streaming. Okay, matter of fact, class 37, 
We've done this, I think, for 15 years, and this is the first time we've ever had a class 37. Usually it's 36 classes. Amen. But anyway, these are unique times, and we're having a good time. I hope you are, right? Now, why is this important, according to John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was the greatest prophet born of a woman. G John the Baptist was, uh, although his ministry and life is recorded in the opening pages of the New Testament, John was actually the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he was given... Uh, an, an amazing assignment. He was given the assignment of pointing out uh, to the world the Messiah. And he was told for some, spe some specific things to look for. And of course, he identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. And then, according to John the Baptist, Jesus came to do two things for you. All right? Now, obviously, you know, these two things are general in nature um, and I'm not saying in other words let me some I've said this before and some people say well I thought he came to provide healing for my body absolutely absolutely okay but when we say these two key things this was what John the Baptist said he said that Jesus first of all came to take away your sin okay John the Baptist said the Lamb of God who comes to take away your sin. Not cover it over. There is a distinct difference between sins being forgiven and sins being taken away. Remember, your Heavenly Father wants to treat you like your sin never happened. And the only way He can do that is to take your sin away. Not in part, but in whole. All sin for all time. Remove it from you. Never to be held against you again. Never to separate you from Him again. Right? So, again, two things. The first one is He came to take away your sin. The second one is that Jesus came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Here's a trivia question. You can impress your friends at work tomorrow. Ask them how many people Jesus baptized in water. And the answer is zero. He speci the Bible specifically says that Jesus, His disciples baptized people in water but that Jesus himself never baptized a single person in water, okay? Because he came to baptize us with Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. Now, why am I mentioning this? Well, more confusion, more disagreement, and more division exists in the body of Christ over these two things than any other doctrine, a doctrine is just a system of teaching, than any other doctrine, any other system of teaching that we find in the Bible. Okay? Um, I happen to pastor a non-denominational church. Okay? Um, I'm, I'm not trying to offend my denominational brothers and sisters, We're, there, but there's only one body, you know, only one body of Christ. Okay? Christ is not divided. And, and we're all bone of one another's bone and flesh of one another's flesh because we're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We've all been born of the same seed. And again, he's not divided. Only one body of Christ. And the Bible speaks in the New Testament of each of us having our own company. Um, and certainly, you know, like a tribe or a company of believers, a family of faith is what we refer to ourselves as here at Heritage. Um, but if you're a born-again believer, uh, you know, uh, we're all a part of the same body and, and always will be. Amen. So I'm not here to pick on denominations, but if you'll notice, denominational lines 
Or what separates one group, one denomination, from other groups, other denominations, um, may, may be many things involved, but the main differences uh, revolve around different beliefs about what take away your sins mean and what baptize in the Holy Spirit means. Okay? Just think about this. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just asking you to think tonight. Disagreements, confusion, misunderstanding, division, again, more associated with these two things than any other doctrines, any other teachings in uh, the body of Christ. So, lots of different opinions, lots of different thoughts about what these things mean. And let me just try, you remember in school we learned about uh, fractions, and a fraction is just a, a, a confusing way for some people uh, to express division. So, for instance, one-fourth. Um, one over four, it's actually one divided by four. You can convert that by flipping it over and, and, and doing the math, and you come up with, with 0.25, okay? And so when we talk about fractions and, and denominators, um, we're talking about, you know, division here. And, and so denominations uh, of Christians, uh, they, they tend to, again, congregate around... Uh, you know, least, you know, common beliefs. In other words, the, you know, this denomination, we believe this, and if you believe this, come join with us, and no, we believe this. And so, you know, we have these different divisions and denominations. But again, if you go back to it, uh, it, it there's other things that divide us, but, but right here, and that's of no coincidence, because again, these are the two primary things Jesus came to do for us. He came to take away our sin, and he came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord dropped a term in my heart many, many years ago. I, I, I want to say, and I don't remember the exact election. You know, it's, it's interesting how every, especially pre presidential election, everyone in, in, in my lifetime, uh, you know, I'm an adult now, but the adults even, like when I first started to vote, even before I was voting, you know, every presidential election, they would say, this is the most important election, this is the most important election. And, you know, I, I tend to agree with them, and I believe the one coming up in November is perhaps the most important election, right? Um, but there was conversation, it's the first time I ever heard the term a battleground state, a battleground state. And, and so the idea behind a battleground state is... Um, for instance, I'm from the state of Alabama, and the state of Alabama is fairly conservative. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, sometimes get laughed at, you know, the Bible Belt and things of this nature. But because of that, um, we don't have a lot of Democrats come and campaign here because they know that this state is pretty much a shoe-in to vote for the most conservative political candidate, all right? Um, so we would not be considered a battleground state, but more recently, Ohio, uh, Florida, Pennsylvania, right? These states are the battleground states. They're the ones that the presidential candidates know that if we don't win these states, there's no way we can win the White House. So they will spend all kinds of time and money campaigning in those states, uh, but, but very little. Uh, in other states that they know, California, for example, is pretty much a liberal-type state. They're going to vote for the liberal candidate and so forth and so on. Now, 
why, why am I telling you all this? Am I talking politics? No. Just as I heard them explaining battleground states, the Holy Spirit spoke to me the term battleground truth. And what we mean by battleground truth, these are the truths in the Word of God that the enemy is the most concerned about you understanding. And so when it comes to a battleground truth, this is where Satan is going to try the hardest to keep people confused and divided, to keep us ignorant of these things. Now, let's, make, let's be clear. The devil never wants you to know any kind of truth. He doesn't want you to know the first Bible verse or even that there is a God, all right? So obviously he's, he's going to try very you know, hard uh, to uh, pull that off uh, in your life. But he's lost that battle with me and you. I mean, we, we already know at least some things, okay? Um, but the one that he's going to garrison the most troops around, uh, battleground troops, uh, to keep you from ever knowing and understanding. And so um, when it comes to the truth about your salvation, Jesus taking away your sin, what that really means, okay, and what it really means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's no wonder. It, it, there's, there's more controversy, more division, more confusion, more misunderstanding, more arguments. Okay? People who argue the Bible, right? More times than not, they're arguing over things pertaining to our sins being taken away and exactly what that means, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, exactly what that means. Some people believe, for instance, take away the sins means that once the sins are taken away, you're saved and you always will be. Other people believe your sins can be taken away, but if you sin after that, um, that you're just as bound for hell as anybody else. Um, and, and so you, you better not be uh, uh, smoking or chewing or running with girls who do uh, and have a car wreck and die, uh, you know, these kinds of things, right? And I, again, I'm, I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek, but these were things that we were told. Uh, you know, uh, be, being raised in church. You got some folks that come to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they say you receive all the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to receive when you're saved. Um, other people believe that, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after salvation, a separate work. Um, some people believe that you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit but not speak in tongues. Other people believe that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues and you haven't been until you do and so forth. Right? So again, all kinds of arguments, all kinds of confusion, all kinds of disagreement. Who's behind? Who's the author of confusion? Satan. And he's the one who never wants us to come to the knowledge of the truth and, and really put some deep roots down in the truth where these things are concerned. All right? Now, does the Bible, does the Bible teach what some call once saved, always saved? Or can you lose your salvation after having once received it? All right? Now, the statement that I'm about to make it has been misunderstood for arrogance um, in the past by people, and, I, and I, I'm cautious, that's why I give you the warning. I'm, I'm not saying this from a place of arrogance, okay? Um, but I, for a lot of years in my life, um, I believed and argued one side of this uh, until, thankfully, the Holy Spirit led me to the truth. Some of you have heard the story. I was in the ministry. Um, I was no longer in the ministry again. That's a, that's a long story. Uh, it's when we started the cabinet business. 
And um, I didn't I didn't think or have any intentions of ever preaching again, but I wanted to know the truth because I didn't want my children to be as confused as I was about some of these things. And I want to be able to teach my children. My children were babies at that time, um, very young. John Mark was newborn. Bethany was a couple of years old. And uh, I just want to know the truth. And um, and so the statement that some people confuse for arrogance is I have literally had people leave heritage because of what I preach and teach on these things. And to their credit, you know, come have the conversation with me and tell me why and tell me why I'm wrong. And sadly, I knew their argument against what I believe better than they did. And I, and I don't, again, that, that, sounds, that sounds, I mean, they're like telling me I'm wrong and they're telling me I'm why. And I'm like, well, you left out, you know, <laughs> in my mind I'm going, if you really wanted to make the argument, why did you leave out this verse, this verse, and this verse, right? Um, so again, I don't, <clears throat> I've been on both sides of this. And uh, the, the only thing that, and we established this from class one, when we all met together uh, to start this discipleship journey, amen, is that we were on a relentless pursuit of the truth. We want the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And so um, I'm not trying, again, to be offensive or, or any of those other things, but this is what, this is the, we're going to answer this question, all right? We're not going to be afraid of it um, because we have the answers, you know, in the Word of God, and we're not going to be afraid of those. And, and the controversial verses, the ones that seem to contradict and therefore put people at odds with one another, um, God is not confused, okay? And, and uh, that was one of the things that I came to the conclusion of uh, back in the early 90s is that I may be confused about some of this, but, but my Heavenly Father is not. And His Holy Spirit lived within me, and He's the great teacher who will lead me and guide me into all truth. And um, I'm still learning. Don't misunderstand me. Um, but, you know, these, these are some things, amen, that I feel extremely confident uh, to teach, okay? Now, so again, does the Bible teach what some call once saved, always saved? Um, or can you lose your salvation after having once received it? I think it's important that we answer this question. I think it's important that, that we know this. Now, let me be clear. There, there are some men and women that I love and respect and have you know, listened to sermons that they preach recently that take a different view on this than I do. And that's okay. Amen. I Praise God. We can all go to heaven. You can disagree with me and we can be born again, love one another, and go to heaven. But remember, I'm here to serve you. And um, I'm going to be so bold as to say that Father God has put me in your life uh, to, to help clear up some confusion uh, where these things are concerned. Now, um, a friend, a beautiful brother in the Lord, um, his name's Tom Roberts. Some people come to Heritage and they hear some of the songs we sing and they're like, where'd that song come from? And we're like, man, Tom Roberts wrote that song. Tom Roberts wrote that song. And there's a line in a song that he wrote many years ago and when he was going through a difficult time in his life and and. The, the line in the song says, you've got to get a hold of the things that you know are true. Okay? So anytime that you have uh, a difficult or controversial subject or topic uh, in the Word of God, you have to start with the things that you know are true. Okay? And once you get a hold of the things that you know are true, 
you then begin, and when I say no or true, I'm talking about absolute, undeniable word of God, okay? Once you begin to establish the things that you know are true, you then begin to address the things that seem to contradict that by choosing to never turn loose of what you know is true, okay? And it's amazing when you do that because the light comes from the truth, right? The entrance of his word gives light. That when you refuse to turn loose of what you know is true, that truth will begin to illuminate. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and he begins to clear up what appears to be or seems to be the word of God contradicting itself, right? So I don't know if we'll have time to get much further than this tonight. But I want to just present to you, real straightforward, um, 12 indisputable truths now some of these we've spent multiple classes on some of these things we've spent hours on right and by the way this list could very easily be 24 indisputable truths pertaining to our salvation but I want to again I want to uh, give you uh, those 12 indisputable truths and remember this okay that the new birth is not figurative or metaphorical, um, analogous, I mean, analogous, whatever. It, it's literal, right? So, 12 indisputable truths. In other words, we're getting a hold of what we know is true, right? The first thing that we know is true from the Word of God is that we were born again from spiritual death, okay? Again, not gonna, the temptation here is for me to spend six weeks review and all things we've covered in the past as we look at these right but we know from the word of God that we were spiritually dead and that when we were born again we were born not just from a tomb but from the womb of death Jesus being the firstborn from the dead all right number two indisputable is that we were born again from an incorruptible seed which gave us an indestructible heredity all right so we were born a second time from an incorruptible seed which gave us, produced within us, an indestructible heredity. Okay? Number three, the Bible is very clear that we have, as born-again believers, we have already received eternal life. Remember, he who has the Son has life, but he who has not received the Son has not received life, and the, has not received life, and the wrath of God abides upon him. And when we say eternal life, remember, this is not bios. This is the life and nature of God without end in overflowing abundance. As born-again believers, indisputable. In other words, any, let, let me, what I mean by indisputable, if, if somebody's going to come, like my mother was having a conversation one time. She was at the gym working out, her and dad, and, and there was a, a retired minister there, and she found out he's a retired minister. And so she, you know how my mother is. She's just outgoing, loves people. And so she's... You know, they're just talking about the goodness of God and this man's many years of service and all this stuff. And I don't even exactly know how the conversation got to that point. But my mom quoted uh, John 14. John 14, she, she said to him, she said, um, well, you know, the Bible says we'll do the works that Jesus did and even greater works because he goes, he's gone to the Father. And she said the whole conversation just, it was like, you know, came screeching halt. And she said that retired pastor now looked her straight in the face with just whole countenance change, and he said, the Bible does not say that. And she, she was like, well, yeah, of course it does. John 14, I forget the exact verse in John 14. He doubled down. 
dug in. The Bible. See, now again, you, you can't have a conversation. You, you can't have a conversation with somebody that says the Bible doesn't say something that the Bible actually says, right? So when we say an indisputable, I'm not saying, you know, some bozo can't try to dispute this, but if you if if you base what you believe on the scriptures, it's indisputable. We have already received the life and nature of God, eternal Zoe, overflowing uh, eternal life and nature of God. Okay? All right? Number four. We have been given an equal share in the divine nature. Again, this freaks a lot of folks out, but the partaker of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, this means to have an equal share in. So we have been given an equal share in the divine nature. It's, it's Again, it's, it's uh, indisputable. It, it, the, the scriptures clearly say this is what's true about someone who has been born again. Okay? Now, this is another one that may sound shocking to some of you who haven't been with us as we've looked and looked and looked, but number five, um, the Bible says, sin is what causes spiritual death, and we cannot sin. Okay? <laughs> Think of it. I, I know, again, you're like, oh, oh! Some of you probably want to be like that, that, that gentleman that, that uh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible absolutely says that because his seed abides in you, that you cannot sin, right? Um, now, again, see, the temptation is to, oh, that's controversial, so let's spend 20 minutes explaining it. Well, I mean, there's plenty of classes on, on this and where the Bible says it and all that. I'm just trying to give you an overview uh, of things that we've already established from the Word of God, mouth of multiple witnesses in the Scriptures, that we're, we're laying hold of, right? So sin is what causes spiritual death, and we cannot sin. Number six, furthermore, because of Jesus, the Bible says Father is no longer keeping a record of sin. All right? Not keeping a record of it anymore. Um, amen. Well, let's keep going. Number seven. <laughs> Some of you say, the Bible doesn't say that. It absolutely says it. We even read it, Hebrews 10, 2 Corinthians 5. But remember, it, not only does the Bible say it, the prophets prophesied that there was coming a day when he would keep no record of sin. Amen. All right. Now, number seven. We mentioned this one tonight. Jesus is our propitiation, redemption, and justification and has eternally redeemed us. Eternally redeemed us eternally redeemed us. We left out reconciliation, but that one's right there in it, okay? Number eight, our right standing with God is not based upon our performance or behavior, but upon a gift that we have been given and received, okay? Now, I am going to do a quick review, because last week we, we dug into this in Romans 5. Bible says that he did everything to buy that gift for you while you were his enemy. And now that you've received this gift and have become born of his seed, how much more will you now be kept saved, kept in salvation by his life? If the death of Jesus made you righteous and reconciled in close relationship back with God, one with God, 
how much more will his life, now that you belong to him, keep you his? Ooh, that just stirs me up right there, all right? You know, this is the one that I don't think we spent a great deal of time in, and, 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 and this one is uh, from the first part of uh, Romans 5. We've been permanently planted in the grace that saved us. Okay, let me, um, let me read that verse to you right quick. Praise God. I know we're going a little bit over tonight. Um, amen. If you get tired, got to go to bed or um, ready to watch, I don't know what comes on on Wednesday night, some other show. <laughs> amen. Uh, go ahead. You can watch, finish it up later. Praise God. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what is he saying here? He's, he's saying that this access, that, that word in the Greek literally means an entrance to, that, that the grace that saved us, you know, that grace has appeared, it has come to us, right? But now that we're born again, we have been planted in grace. Uh, we, we, we now have, there's our standing, our right standing before God is permanent because the grace that has made us right before Him is what we now stand in. Amen. It's not just that it was a one-time event, some epiphany, some, you know, experience, but, you know, we've been translated out of darkness into light and our hearts are being established in grace. All right, let me keep going here. So we've been permanently planted in the grace that saved us. Number 10, the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And according to Jesus, once he comes to live in us, he will live in us forever. That's what Jesus said. He was talking to his disciples. He said, hey, you know, um, the Holy Spirit who is, who's with you now will be in you. He's talking about, right, when uh, they are born again. They can't be born again until Jesus pays for their sin, dies on the cross. But he says, the Holy Spirit who's with you now uh, will one day be in you. And when he comes to live in you, he'll be in you forever. The Holy Spirit who now lives in us, and according to Jesus, once he comes to live in us, he will live in us forever. Number 11. The word says we are now separated from anything that defiled us. We are without spot or blemish. Nothing remains to condemn us. We are without accusation and unaccusable. Again, we spend a whole class, I think, almost on that, those subjects and what the Bible says about that. So finally, here we are, verse number 12. We are saved because of, as Ephesians 2 says, His great love with which He loved us. And, and nothing, past, present, or future, can separate us from His love. So we're saved because of His love, and now that we have received His love and have become His own, born a second time of His incorruptible seed, the Bible says the, the love that saved us and, and the love that he had for us while we were his enemies, now we belong to him and nothing will ever separate us from love. It, it basically piggybacks on that Romans 5 that we've been planted in the grace that saved us. All right, so somebody normally about this time when we're in here all together, you know, raise their hand and they're like, Pastor Mark, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Right. And this is how I answer that. And I'm not trying to, to be a politician speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But I'm also not trying to just deliberately 
you know, say things that, that, that offend people and inflame them? Um, the short answer to that is yes, but that's not how I say it, okay? I don't say once saved, always saved, because that to me uh, doesn't communicate what's happened to us uh, well enough, all right? I prefer this one, all right? Try this on for size, all right? Once born, always born, amen. So when we say once saved, always saved, remember the confusion between what is the difference between being born again and receiving salvation. And we said that although those two are related, they're speaking of uh, you know, cause and effect and you know, we receive salvation. What will we save from? We were saved ultimately from the corrupted seed of Adam. How will we save from that? By being born a second time of an incorruptible seed. Right? So the idea then is once some, physically, Someone can be born and die, but once you're born, you can't reverse that, okay? That's why Jesus said to everyone who was born, remember he said you've got to be born physically and spiritually. You must be born again. He said to those who have been born of the corrupted seed of Adam, you must be born again. So literally you have to be born a second time of a different seed. This is what the new birth is all about, receiving salvation. So again, someone can be uh, can be born again, continue to live by the flesh according to Romans 8 and and die prematurely. but that death is not speaking of spiritual death, it's speaking of physical death, not the spirit being separated from God, but it's speaking of their spirit and soul being separated from their physical body prematurely because they lived by and for their flesh as a born again believer okay so once born always born I was born thankfully gratefully blessed to be born of David and Brenda Winslet okay I am their seed I have an older brother and a younger sister we are their seed amen and you know I'm being silly here when I say this but I could deny them I could change my name I could never speak to them again I could move to the other side of the earth, right? And somebody asked me who my parents are, and I could tell them my parents were somebody that, that other than David and Brenda Winslet, right? But if they found my body in a ditch and pulled blood out of my veins, right, <laughs> it would take them right back to my mom and dad because I was born of their seed. I was born of their seed. So when we say the new birth is a literal experience, do you see why it's so important for us to understand this? And do you see why the enemy tries so hard to keep people from ever coming to that understanding. He, he, he tries to blur that and confuse that and make it figurative and these sorts of things. No, no, I've been born a second time, literally. The, the real me was born of a different seed. And through that experience, I became a son of God, not from the perspective of created by him, but from the perspective of born of him and now adopted by him. I belong to him. I belong to him. I am his. Amen. Now, I can go and, and cut a fool and live by my flesh and die physically, but there's no way that I can be unborn physically and there's no way that I can be unborn again. You see what I'm saying? It's like, well, I was born again, but now I'm unborn again. No, see, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work that way, all right? Now, amen. There's a lot more to all this that, um, that we're going to get into next week. And, and mainly we're going to look at, I'll just go ahead and tell you straight up, we're going to look at some verses 
Because people, you know, I've done this for so many years. I've had so many conversations with people. Doesn't the Bible say people who commit this sin won't inherit the kingdom? The Bible does say that, but again, you have to look at what does it mean to inherit the kingdom, right? And then it says, well, Pastor Mark, doesn't it say that once somebody's enlightened, if they, if they commit the sin, they're crucifying Jesus again, put him there. The Bible does say that, but again, um, when we, and I know I'm out of time, just stay with me just a few more seconds, okay? What do we do with these 12 uh, indisputable truths? In other words, if all of this is true, and we could make another list of 12 and another list of 12 and have 36 of them if we wanted to, right? Um, we even go back over the ones we talked about tonight. The Bible says you're saved to the other most. The Bible says all your sins were forgiven once and for all, so forth. But anyway, um, so if we have a passage that seems to run crossways of 12 things that are indisputable, okay, then either the Bible contradicts itself or there's an explanation. And there's always an explanation. That's what the Holy Spirit showed me many years ago. There's always an explanation. So, for instance, in Hebrews 6, when it says that, that's the, that's the go-to verse for people who believe you can lose your salvation. They point to that verse and they say, well, what do you do with that one? Well, I'm going to show you what you do with that one. Amen. That, th those verses are among the, the most misunderstood verses in all the Word of God. And we're going to clear that up for you next week. All right. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for folks who've hung in here with us all the way to the end, Lord. I know a lot of folks, uh, we have those uh, metrics, Father, and you know that a lot of folks may start one of these live streams, but they may not stay with us to the end. So thank you for everybody who started, and thank you even more for everybody who finished with us tonight, Father. I thank you for what you're teaching us. I thank you, Lord, that, that you've given us answers to these questions, and, and you've, you've, you've brought truth in, into these areas of shadows and darkness and, and ignorance. And so, Lord, help us set aside our preconceived uh, thoughts and ideas on these things and look with an open, fresh heart and mind led by your Holy Spirit um, at, at your word uh, to get the right perspective, the right understanding on these things. And Father, we just thank you for your blessing, your favor upon us. We thank you, Lord, for a wonderful week. Lord, may, may people, may we let our lights so shine before me and that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll be back together in person, 1030, Sunday morning. Don't forget, Youth Camp, if you want to get a Boston Butts and Barbecue at the 4th of July, it's not too late uh, to get that ordered up. We love you. Have a great rest of your week, and good things coming.